Welcome to the Keeping It Israel podcast with Jeff Futers, where Jeff and his guests talk everything Israel as it relates to Christian faith and the church. If you are a Christian and you stand with Israel, you will be encouraged and challenged by this podcast. And if you're not so sure about the whole Israel thing, you need to learn how your faith connects with Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's Jeff with today's guest. Hi, my name is Jeff Futers, and uh, welcome to the podcast. I'll be your host today. I'm also the director of First Century Foundations, as uh, many of you would know already if you've been listening. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been sharing some teaching material that I did on the I Am Statements of Jesus. And we're going to continue with that today on the podcast. And I'll be talking about Jesus' statement, I am the Good Shepherd. And so I hope that you find this interesting. We're going to look at how we can understand this story and this statement a little better when we look at Judaism and the Hebraic roots of our faith, when we understand the Jewish context out of which uh, this comes. So I hope you enjoy the teaching and uh, great to have you with us today. Let's listen in. Let's jump right in. We've been talking this week about the I am statements of Jesus, and we've covered I am the bread of life. Yesterday, we talked about the light of the world and the the transformational power of the light of Christ that's in us that we can bring to bear in our worlds. And today, we're going to look at another statement, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I'm going to to just get right in today because I've sort of felt the last couple days, are you learning anything? Okay, good. I haven't noticed anybody actually fall asleep, so that's been encouraging. And um, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, that we're not going too long or saying too much. There's a lot of information, and I get that. So, so uh, you know, if you get to a point where you just can't take it anymore, just kind of tap on the pew really loudly, and I'll know you're tapping out, and we'll try and, we'll try and wrap it up. Is that, a, is that, will that work? <laughs> Don't start tapping right now, uh, or I'll go home and cry. So... John chapter 10, John chapter 10, if you turn there in your Bibles, and uh, verses 11 through 16, there's actually a number of verses that I want to cover here today from the 10th chapter of John, but I'm going to read uh, these ones beginning at verse 11, and here's what it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, we thank you today for the inspired word of God. And Lord, we know, as we have said and prayed already this week, that your word has an anointing on it already. But we ask that you would, God, anoint these thoughts that we are going to share today, that, Lord, you would let Jesus Christ be lifted up. And, uh, God, that, that uh, we would see nothing of ourselves but only Jesus. You are the good shepherd. Father, we thank you, and we thank you that you sent your Son to be our good shepherd. And we pray these things today. We ask you to speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we've been looking at a few different things, and uh, let me just recap really quickly. On Monday, uh, we talked about the reason for even looking at these statements. Why is it important that Jesus used I am language? And we went back to Moses and the burning bush, where God said to Moses when he said, you know, suppose I do go to the Israelites and say that you've told me to, to lead them out of Egypt. Who do I tell them you are? What do I say your name is? And God said, tell them I am that I am. God is the great I am. He is the self-existent being. God exists in and of himself. He always was, he is, he always will be. And so when Jesus comes using I am language, then we sort of, you know, the, the Jewish scholars in particular would, would tweak on that. And then we talked about the fact that when he came, he made this statement, before Abraham was, I am, I am. And then we have all of these statements that we're looking together this week. And by the way, uh, I said that we're going to cover five this week. And uh, I was going to do the True Vine on Friday, but a number of people have been asking uh, me to share just a little bit about uh, my testimony, sort of how I came to this role, and also about uh, you know, what I believe the prophetic, some of the prophetic implications are in terms of our understanding of modern-day Israel today. And so on Friday, uh, I think I will just delve into that a little bit, and, uh, and we'll talk about that on Friday. Is that okay? And if you want the true vine message, you'll have to come to another camp some other year when I get a chance to share that. No, I, uh, we, we, uh, I just thought that if, if enough people were asking, maybe we would share a little bit about that. And so we'll be looking at Jesus' prophetic words in the book of Luke. So we come now to, I am the good shepherd. And we've been asking these questions about context, clarification, and then a call to action. What's the context? What's happening in the background? What, uh, how do we understand Jesus' statement because of, of the context that he is in? And then we want some clarification. Why is Jesus using this kind of language? Why is it significant to his hearers, to the, to the audience that he is speaking to? And then why should it be significant to us? And we talk then about a call to action, knowing what we know about what Jesus said he is, who he said he is, what is it that we should be doing in our own spiritual journey, our own spiritual lives? And so we're going to do that again today. Now, unlike some of his statements in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't make this statement around a specific location or event or festival, okay? Um, we've talked about the, the Feast of Tabernacles. We've talked about some of the ceremonies that the Jewish priests would do and why it was significant. You know, yesterday that Jesus would say, uh, he is the light of the world. But today, instead of, of a specific location or feast, he really makes this a, a word picture, a, an illustrative kind of story or parable for those who are listening. And so because we know he's using this kind of, uh, this kind of shepherd analogy, then another way that we can understand through the context is to think about, you know, who is his audience? Who's listening? How would they be hearing what it is that he's saying? So if we're to read the verses preceding our text of the first part of chapter 10, we discover that Jesus has just been involved with an interesting exchange with some Pharisees uh, at the end of chapter 9, actually, about their spiritual blindness. Remember, we talked yesterday about the man born blind and how Jesus kind of turned that all around to say, you know what? Just because you think you see doesn't, doesn't really mean you see. But you can't, you can't really be blind either because, because you know enough that you've got to be responsible for the things that you know. And, and we need to bring light into the world. And so Jesus is in this exchange and the Pharisees are not really happy with him because they know. They know that when he talked about spiritual blindness, he was referring to them. 
And uh, so they're listening. These Pharisees are there. They're listening when Jesus begins to talk about the sheep and the gate and the shepherd. And we'll look at the gate quickly as well. But there were others listening also. They're listening when Jesus begins to talk about the sheep and the gate and the shepherd, but there were others listening as well. We know this because when Jesus is finished talking later in the chapter, verses 19 or so, it speaks of many Jews who were also listening and who heard Jesus' words and who were still divided in their opinions of him. And so we understand he's speaking to a a, a Jewish audience, a greater Jewish audience, but in particular also to the leaders, to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law in this case. That's who was listening. But there's another question, and that is this. How would those who were listening, and what would, what would what Jesus was saying about the sheep, why would it be significant to this audience? To us who are not in touch with shepherding or agriculture, how many of you know a shepherd personally? Anybody? It, it was possible. It could, have, it could have happened. There's shepherds in, in Ontario. So if we don't know about shepherding, if we don't know about agriculture, then at first blush, this good shepherd language maybe wouldn't resonate with us so much. But to the Jewish people who are listening, this is very significant. When you think of shepherds in the Bible, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Quickly, anybody, when you think of shepherds. Sorry? David? Okay, good. What else? Sheep? Yeah, that's good. Nobody? Christmas? Christmas, yeah. I... That's the first thing that pops into my mind when I think of shepherds in the Bible. I think of Christmas. And, uh, you know, we, we get them up there. Sometimes we have them live on the stage and somebody has to be responsible for, you know, cleaning up the... So, so it's, we, think of, we think of all that kind of stuff. So we think about shepherds, we think about Christmas. And, uh, you know, here's, here's a picture actually of some shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Have you ever been to Israel? Anybody ever been to Israel? Uh, quite a few in the room. And uh, it's, it's amazing to go there. We go to one place called the Shepherd's Fields where you can stand up on the hill and look out over the hillside where, uh, you know, where they figure that the shepherds probably would have been. It's, it's traditionally been uh, an area where they have tended sheep over centuries and centuries. And it's kind of neat to stand there in either October or May or, and sing Christmas carols. It's a lot of fun. You should go sometime. So we think about shepherds, we think about Christmas. And, uh, but we also understand that shepherds in Jewish culture, although many consider them lowly, you know, we always preach about the lowly shepherds at, at Christmas time. Many consider them lowly because uh, that's how other cultures saw them. They were the lowest of the low. The, they despised the Jewish people because they were a shepherding culture. And so, uh, you know, you remember some of that from even the Old Testament, and I'll mention that in a second. But there's this there's this culture in Jewish uh, tradition of shepherding. They are people of agriculture and herding sheep was a long handed down legacy of the people of Israel. So when these Jewish leaders and others heard Jesus speak of the good shepherd, they had some context for this and they would be capable of making some connections at least with the shepherd theme, okay? Their patriarch, a guy named Abraham, maybe you've heard of him, was a shepherd. We know that from Genesis 13 that when he went up from Egypt, Abraham and his nephew Lot had amassed large flocks and herds. And when uh, they, they did this, this was considered a sign of their status and their wealth. So in the Old Testament, at least, they're not considered lowly. They're considered wealthy when they've amassed large, large flocks. They were shepherds. Later, Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, worked with his uncle Laban's flocks for 14 years in order to earn Laban's daughters as his wives. Now, he thought he was only getting one, 
in seven. Turned out it was a two-for-one deal. He had to take the, uh, you know, the weak-eyed one first. You can determine what that really means. You know, I sort of think she was the ugly sister, but that's just my, you know, uh, it's not in the Bible, so don't quote me on that, okay? But, but, but he worked with his uncle Laban's flocks for many years, and before all was said and done, he had amassed large flocks of his own by the time he left Haran to return to his homeland. Jacob was a shepherd. We have Abraham, we have Jacob. Then Joseph, when he sent for his family to come to the land of Egypt, he instructed his father Jacob and his brothers to identify themselves to Pharaohs and the Egyptians as what? Shepherds. Why did he do that? Because the Egyptians hated shepherds. And Joseph wanted them to be able to live in Goshen, the nice, lush, rich land just outside the city, and so that they could have the, the best land in the area. And so that's what they did. They told him they were shepherds. Genesis 46. These Jewish people who were listening to Jesus speak, both the leaders and the others, would completely understand the shepherd analogy. It's all throughout their history. Moses, their hero, Moses was a shepherd. Remember when we said God spoke to him at the burning bush? What was he doing? He was tending Jethro's flocks on the backside of the desert when he encountered God Almighty himself, the I am that I, that I am. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 78 and 52, but he brought his people out like a flock. This is speaking of God. He brought his people out like a flock out of Egypt and he led them like sheep through the wilderness. It's a picture that they understand. Isaiah 40 and verse 11 says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And then we all have one that we know very well, the psalmist David, who said, who was a shepherd boy we know, uh, when Samuel came looking for the next king, David was off tending the sheep, and David wrote a very famous psalm that we read often at funerals, sadly, because uh, not, not sadly, it's a good one to read at funerals, but we should read it other places too. It's a beautiful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. See, even just reading those words just kind of, just kind of calmed you, didn't it? Because they're familiar. Because it's, it's, it's good. It's good. So we know about this shepherd language. And it's against this backdrop of Jewish culture that Jesus makes his statement, I am the good shepherd. Which brings us to this second perspective we want to talk about, and that's clarification. Clarification. Why did Jesus call himself the good shepherd? And I think you maybe can see where this is going. Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus at different times had tried to tell people who he was. He tried to tell them very directly, like when he performed those messianic miracles that we talked about. One of them we talked about yesterday, healing the man born blind. Remember the Pharisees, it was the Pharisees who decided, the rabbis and the teachers who said, these four miracles only the Messiah will be able to do. And then when Jesus came and he did it, they were like, mm, I don't know. Did that really happen? I'm not really sure, right? So we know that he was telling them very directly who he was. And then other times he was hinting at who he was. We talked about that, that remez method of teaching that rabbis often used by, by hinting at something that, would be, that should be well known so that people would sort of grab the hint and understand what was being taught. 
And so when Jesus performed these miracles and when he made these hints, he was saying to them, I am the Messiah. That's who I am. Because he was doing something that no one else but God had ever done. He was saying things that no one else but God had ever said. But there are other times where he was hinting, like we mentioned. And so in this context of of the Jewish Hebraic culture, by calling himself the Good Shepherd, Jesus was aligning himself at the very least with all of these people that we've been talking about, with, with uh, Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David. He was, saying, he was saying, I'm a shepherd like those guys. But he was also saying that I'm like God, my father, who is the shepherd who led you out of Egypt, who led you like a sheep through the wilderness. When he said, I'm the good shepherd, he was aligning himself with his father, God, as well. And at the very same time, think about this. He wasn't just saying something about who he was. He was also saying something very direct and very powerful about who he was not, about who he was not. He was not a bad shepherd or even just an average shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And when I say that, I'm referring to the prophet Jeremiah's language in Jeremiah 23 when speaking for God, Jeremiah said, woe to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds, those shepherds who are not leading Israel properly, those shepherds who are leading Israel into sin, those shepherds who are leading Israel astray. Woe to those shepherds. And it's interesting that he uses that phrase when Jesus later comes in Matthew 23 and speaks to the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What does he say to them? Woe to the Pharisees. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. And so there's this contrast as well. I'm the good shepherd. I'm not one of the bad shepherds. And when Jesus said this, he was, he was hinting at something that the Pharisees, I believe, would have picked up on. But perhaps even more convincing than the connection between uh, the shepherd language in the Old Testament about great leaders and about God himself is a specific prophecy about Messiah that references the fact that he will be a shepherd. Don't you love when you see the answer to prophecy in the life of Jesus. I love when I see that. And when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's referring to a prophecy in the book of Micah, chapter five and uh, verse four. Now we always read the Micah prophecy and here's what we read. But you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's poetic, it sounds incredible. And we stop there. We stop there. If we go on to verse 4, it says this, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The Messiah was prophesied to be a shepherd, not just a shepherd, but the shepherd, the good shepherd, okay? The good shepherd. And so when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he's sending a very, very clear message. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 and verse 4. So he's not just saying, I'm the Messiah. He's also giving some incredible insight and clues into what the Messiah is like and what the Messiah would do. And that's what we want to see from this shepherd imagery today. So I want to just draw out a few of the things that Jesus said here, and we're going to look at them together. Maybe you've heard this before, but if you haven't, one of the significant things or differences between Greek culture and Hebrew culture is that the Greeks were very precise. They were all about words 
and precision. They were very black and white. There is heaven, there's heaven, and there's earth, and there's really no in between. It's very, very black and white. Hebrew culture is very different. Stark contrast to this, in Hebrew culture, they tend to communicate with word pictures or stories that are often layered with meaning. And so in, instead of black and white, the, the Jewish people, they, they teach in technicolor. They, they tell stories so that you can get the idea. That's probably why Jesus, the rabbi, the great rabbi, taught with so many parables and illustrations. It was part of their culture. And so we see this over and over again, and we see it here in this exchange about the Good Shepherd, because what he actually does here is he paints for us a couple of different scenes in this text. And if you're somebody who takes notes and likes a lot of points, uh, I don't have a lot of points today. I just want to tell you two stories. I want, to, I want you to see two vignettes, two pictures, okay? And so he paints for us these scenarios so we can understand what the Good Shepherd is all about. And we need to know a little bit about uh, Hebraic culture to pick up all the nuances of this. So we go back to the beginning of chapter 10. If you have your Bibles open, then go back to the beginning of the 10th chapter because Jesus introduces this first picture when he begins to talk about the sheep pen and the gate. The sheep pen and the gate. I'm not going to take the time to read it. You have it in your Bible there in front of you. But the scene that he paints is that of a sheep pen within a town or a village. And you see typically in Jewish Middle Eastern culture, when the sheep were pasturing close enough to the village, then they would be brought in at night to the sheep pen. And if a family had only a few sheep, they would bring them sometimes right into the very front room on the main level of the house in order to keep them safe and keep them close. And uh, sometimes in the colder months, it helped to actually heat and warm the house from the, the body heat from the animals as well. But if they had many sheep, they would be in a pen out behind the home. They would build an actual pen with walls about you know five feet high or so, and they would put jagged thorns or, or um, other sharp items into the, the plaster on the top so that thieves could not get in over the walls. If they did, you know, they would injure themselves. And then they would, they would put a, a gate. They would put a gate in the pen. And if they didn't have a gate, they would hire a watchman. They would hire somebody to, to uh, you know, be in the gate, make sure that nobody comes and, and bothers the sheep. Sometimes a group of families, if, if there were enough of them that had just a few sheep, they couldn't afford to build their own pen. Sometimes they would go together, build a big pen, and they would put all their sheep together from the village inside the pen overnight. This is the first picture that Jesus paints for us. He talks about and so in this first scenario, he talks about the threat of thieves and robbers who come with ill intent and who try to get into the sheep pen a different way. But he says the shepherd enters by the gate and he calls out to the watchman and the watchman knows his voice and opens the gate for him. Now, there's a, there's a, great, uh, a great picture here of, of the pastor shepherd who watches the sheep and who the good shepherd calls out to as a, as, a, as a watchman, okay? And the watchman knows the voice of the shepherd, and the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And he says, the sheep know my voice, and they listen to it, and I call them by name, and I lead them out, and the sheep follow because they know my voice. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. Isn't that an amazing picture? Aren't you glad that the shepherd knows your voice? Amen. When we call out to him, he hears us. And I, you know, I go back to that verse uh, where, where God speaks and he says to Moses, 
at the burning bush. He said, I've, I've seen, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've seen them. And I've, I've heard their cries for help. And I am concerned. And I'm coming, I'm coming down to rescue them. That's a beautiful picture of what God does for you and I. And so the shepherd knows, the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. What a beautiful and amazing picture of the care and the leadership of the Savior. And I want to stop there for a minute. It says he calls them by name and he leads them out and they follow because they know his voice. I was reading not that long ago and I read this amazing story. And I want to just share a little bit from what I read. This writer had observed, and this was a number of years ago, like about a hundred years ago, he had observed several flocks being led out in the morning to pasture in the hills of Bashan, which uh, is part of the Golan Heights in Israel. And, And here's what he observed. He said, the shepherds led their flocks forth from the gates of the city. And they were there in full view. And we watched them and we listened to them with no little interest, no little interest. Thousands of sheep and goats were there grouped in dense, confused masses. So kind of get this picture of just multiple thousands of sheep all milling about. And you've seen how sheep do that. I mean, they bump into each other. They turn and and go at each other in all different directions. He says they're watching. And the shepherds, he said, stood together. And then they all came outside of the village gate and separated, each shepherd taking a different path up into the hills. And he said, while they were going, they all made their own unique, shrill, little call that they know that they do with their sheep, okay? So we still got thousands of sheep and a big mass behind and shepherd going off in all different directions and all calling out something different with their voice. And he said they were amazed as they watched as one by one, the sheep found the path that their shepherd was on, and they began to go single file out the path towards. And he said, he said they just watched as this great big mass of sheep suddenly separated and went off in these nice little lines up into the mountains. It's an amazing, amazing picture. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, and we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. The other imagery that Jesus introduces in this first scenario of the sheep and the sheep pen in the village is that, that he, Jesus, is the gate for the sheep. That's there in verse 7. And that through him, the sheep go in and out and find pasture. Now this, I think, gives us a sense of of safety and security. Thieves and robbers come only to steal, kill, and destroy. And uh, that's, you know, there's a picture of, of death there for us. But through Jesus, we have life and we have security and we have life to the full and we have it more abundantly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first started coming across this shepherd text, I was confused. How can Jesus be the shepherd and the gate? Has anybody ever asked that question before? Or did you just kind of, you know, blindly accept it like most of us do? How can he be the shepherd and the gate? How can he be both things? And so it may seem a little confusing at first, but when we look at the next scenario that I want you to see that Jesus paints, we we will understand, I think, a bit better. Because in this second scenario, verses 11 and following, Jesus speaks of the threat of wolves who come to attack the sheep. And so... Usually when we read this text, I think we're looking at it sort of like one big picture, but really it's two pictures. It's a picture of the sheep in the pen at night in the village. And then in verse 11, he's talking about a different scenario altogether because wolves and animals didn't usually come into the village. They were too afraid of of the people. They would stay outside on the edges. And so the wolf scenario actually 
happens when the shepherd is too far away from the village to bring the sheep back at night and, and pen them uh, back in the village. And so when he's out in the wilderness and he's gotten so far away, you know how sheep graze, right? They go, to where the, they go to where the good grass is and sometimes there's no grass around the village and so they have to venture farther and farther and farther out. And so at that time in the season, when they're away from the village, then the shepherd has to do something makeshift. He's got to build a makeshift pen out in the wilderness. And so the shepherd when it's time to sort of settle the sheep down at night, he goes and he gets as many uh, branches and logs and, and brush that he can, and he, he builds a makeshift pen. He builds it up as, as high as he can without it falling over, but he leaves an opening, leaves an opening maybe about this wide, so that the sheep can go in and out. And then he builds a fire out in front of the pen. And this is, this is traditional uh, Jewish culture. It's how, these, how the shepherds did this. And when Jesus talks about being the gate, here is what we need to see because he has is, he is built this makeshift pen and he's ready now to settle the sheep down at night. Now in this second scenario, uh, before, I, before I sort of conclude that, that picture, we have this scene, and we understand that the true shepherd, the good shepherd, is someone who will protect against the wolves and against the threat of the animals who will come. I don't know if, you know, you, Jesus also says, you know, the, the hired hand, the hired hand just runs away because he's only there for a paycheck. He doesn't really care about the sheep. He's just there, he's just there for the money. And so we remember the shepherd boy David, I think, comes to mind when David was going to fight Goliath and he told Saul how he had killed the lion and the bear who tried to carry the sheep off from his flock. That's a good shepherd. And so when we think about who Jesus is talking to, who he's referring to when he talked about the hired hand who ran away, again, there's this little jab, little jab at the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the hired hands that Jesus is talking about, and they, they're likely picking up what he's laying down, and they're not really all that happy about that either, okay? Because they're the hired hands, the bad shepherds in the story, and if you want to read about the bad shepherds, go to Ezekiel chapter 34 and Jeremiah 23. You can read those later today and, and understand a little bit of what Jesus was getting at. But the good shepherd cares for the sheep. He protects the sheep, and he does something else. It says... I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life, lays down his life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now this is significant. I mean, we know it's significant, obviously, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. But it's also significant in light of this picture that I've just painted for you, this, this scenario out in the wilderness with the sheep and the makeshift sheep pen. Because here's what happens. When he said, when he said I'm the gate, and he said, I lay down my life for the sheep, he was actually talking about the same thing. Because remember the opening that he leaves for the sheep to go in and out? There's no door in this sheep pen. It's makeshift. It's, it's made out in the wilderness. And so what does the shepherd do? When he lights the fire and the sheep are all settled, you can probably guess what he does. He lays down to sleep across the doorway of the sheep pen. And when Jesus said, I am the gate, that's what he was talking about. 
I'm the, I'm the one who protects between the forces outside and between the sheep inside. I'm the one who, who cares for the sheep in such a way that I lay down my life. I lay down my life to protect the sheep. Jesus cares for you and I like that today. He is our protection. He is our gate. He is our shepherd. And He sacrifices for the sheep. And we know this. We know what He did on the cross. Now in Isaiah chapter 53... We have this picture of a suffering servant. The prophet prophesies and says that the Messiah will lay down his life, that he will take on himself our pain, that he will bear our suffering, and that he will die, that he will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and that he would, he would end up in a grave. And all this will happen, the prophet says, because of one thing. It will happen because of our wandering ways. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned to our own way. Each of us have turned to our own way and the, lay, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is such a powerful picture. There is no greater love, John says in, in John 15 and 13, than for someone to lay down their life for a friend. And Jesus promised that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. He said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so he's always with us. He's always with us. But here's the million-dollar question, I think. The question is, do we recognize Him? Can we hear? Can we hear and recognize His voice? Remember earlier, we talked about the fact that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. We are His sheep, and He is the good shepherd. And if we are His sheep, we are we are to know his voice. As a matter of fact, he actually says it this way. If you're my sheep, you will know my voice. You will know my voice. But he also says we need to listen. We need to listen. And so the call to action is about understanding when we hear the voice of the master. The National Center for Voice and Speech in Denver, Colorado said this, voices are as distinctive as our faces. No two are exactly alike. Some will go so far as to say that they are as distinctive as fingerprints. You've seen all those movies, you know, where voice recognition is, is needed for them to get into these high security, high level security type installations. There's something about a familiar voice that is unforgettable. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe at Tim Hortons or at Starbucks, and you're facing the, you're facing the counter and you hear somebody talking behind you you think to yourself, hey, I know that voice. And you turn around and it's the person. It's the person that you thought. Because voices are so distinct. So distinct. As a matter of fact, sometimes I will run into people who I should know. I should know by, by recognizing their face, but because it's out of context, I don't always you know, make the connection right away. But sometimes as soon as they speak, it will come to me. Oh, I, you're so-and-so, Right? Has that ever happened to you? That's how powerful the recognition of a voice is. I remember when our kids were small and uh, my wife had them and a couple of, of their friends in the car with her and she was T-boned by another vehicle coming back from the grocery store to our home. And, and I was in the office. This was in, uh, in Brantford, Ontario. My phone rang. And the moment I answered it, the moment I said, hello, she burst into tears. Now, why was that? Why was that? It was because she heard 
my voice. She heard the voice of someone that she knew loved her and cared about her, and she felt free enough in that moment then to be able to let all of those emotions go that she didn't want the the tow truck driver to see or the person that had run into her to see or the kids to see. But in the moment of understanding that she recognized my voice, she just was able to let go. And that's the kind of freedom that we can feel when when we hear the voice of the master. He wants us to hear his voice so that we can be completely open and transparent with him so that we can share back and forth. And it's important that we, that we hear the shepherd's voice. If we read a little further in our text, Jesus goes to the Feast of Dedication. And um, maybe you've read this a number of times and you didn't know what that was. The Feast of Dedication is actually, does anybody know what the Feast of Dedication is? It's Hanukkah. Hanukkah. So I'll say something controversial right now. There's actually more, uh, there's more biblical um, basis for celebrating Hanukkah than there is for celebrating Christmas, but I'll just leave it there. I don't want to get in trouble. I celebrate Christmas. I have a Christmas tree. Don't shoot the messenger, okay? I don't think that because I lead a ministry focused on Israel that everybody has to be Jewish. I love Israel, but I also love bacon. And so... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so I'm struggling, but we're, and, and I got to tell you, when you're in Israel for five weeks at a time, this fall I'll be there for seven weeks straight, I miss my wife an awful lot, but man, do I miss bacon. <laughs> yeah, she's not here right now, so I can say that, but she will be here later tonight, so please don't tell her, okay? So we read a little further in the text, and Jesus goes to the Feast of Dedication. So let me, let me give you just the framework for this. We've been talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, uh, the last couple of days. And that happens in kind of mid to late October, usually on our calendar. Uh, Hanukkah happens either late November and, of course, into December. And so this is sort of the time frame that has elapsed as Jesus has had all of these interactions with, uh, with the Pharisees and the, and the different people who are involved in the festivals. And he comes to this feast, and some of the Jews, it says, come to him, and they say, you know, stop keeping us in suspense. If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, then just, just tell us already. Uh, here's, and here's what he says. He says, I did tell you. Uh, this is in verse... Sorry, new glasses. This is in verse... 25, I did tell you, but you do not believe. Or, or I would say this, I told you, but you're not listening. <laughs> you're not listening to me. Have you ever had to say that to your kids? Your kid's asking you questions all the time and you're trying to give them the answer, but they keep just coming and asking the same dumb question. You say, look, so why won't you tell? I told you, but you're just not listening. And you can almost hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice. I- I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm the Messiah but you're not listening. You don't believe what I'm saying. And, uh, and then he goes on, and in verse 27, here's what he says. He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So what's the call to action? The call to action is simply this. We are to listen, and we are to follow. A lot of us got the listening down okay, but maybe we don't follow quite as good as we should, or we only follow some of what we hear. 
Maybe, uh, you know, there's so much noise and distraction in our worlds that we're not actually listening all that carefully, and we miss a lot of what the shepherd is trying to say to us. That happens to me. There's all kinds of things that crowd out uh, what, what the Spirit is trying to say. And, you know, sometimes we write it off and we say, well, you know what, I don't really, I don't really hear God that way. I don't hear God the way that, you know, that you hear God. And that's okay. We all, we all hear God in different ways. Some people have heard audible voices. I can actually honestly tell you that has never happened to me. I hope it does someday. I mean, I'll be a little freaked out, but I really hope it does. But, you know, God doesn't speak to me that way, or at least he hasn't yet. And uh, I had this conversation recently, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here now. I uh, appreciate your, your uh, attention and your patience. But this is the question we want to ask. Do you recognize when God is speaking to you? Can you hear his voice? Are you listening? Those are the questions. Do we recognize when he's speaking? Can we hear his voice? And are we listening? For some people like, like me, it's just an impression. It's just a thought or, or it'll be a, a word picture. It'll be something that I see in my, in my brain that, uh, you know, a lot of times I spend more time questioning, okay, God, is this you? Or, or uh, you know, did I just have bad pizza last night? I don't really know. And that's when faith comes into play, isn't it? When, when we think that God is speaking to us, sometimes you just got to step out in faith and say, you know, I really feel like, what God is saying is, is this. And it's okay to test those things because if somebody looks back at you and says, yeah, no, that's, that's nothing to do with my situation. Well, then you can just say, I've learned this. You can just say, oh, okay, well, it was worth a shot. But you know what? More often than not, they will go, how did you know? How did you know? And when God speaks to us, we need to be able to listen. The appropriate response for us today from John 27 is to listen and to follow. Don't miss the shepherd's voice. In a world where there's all kinds of other voices trying to get our attention, the media, CNN, uh, you know, Fox News, we talked about some of that last night. And where Israel is concerned, this is just a huge, huge problem. You are being told all kinds of lies about, about the land of Israel on the news. Don't listen to half of it. Make sure you do your research. And, and I would recommend you, you, know, you talk to some people who actually live there because because they will tell you that what you're hearing is nothing like what experience there is. So we need, to, we need to put out all the other voices trying to get our attention so that we can listen to hear what the Savior is saying. Don't get distracted by all the other voices. Isaiah 30 and verse 21 says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, whether you turn to the right or to the left, it's right here. Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, walk in it. How can I hear God's voice? How can I know the voice of the shepherd? Well, you can start right here. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his word. Chuck talked the other day about reading the word of God, not so that you can sort of check off some box and say that you read through it in a year. Read it to hear God's voice. Read it to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. And when I read, I, I read according to a reading plan. I'm a very structured person. I find that uh, it's a sickness that I have. And I, I like to read, you know, my four chapters a day. And sometimes if I get behind, that really stresses me out. But you know what I've started to do? I've started to stop reading as soon as God pops something off that page. When, when something jumps out at me and I start to think about that, I'll, I stop. I don't finish my reading for the day anymore. I know you can pray for me, but, but I, I focus then on what it is that God is saying. God, why are you saying that? 
What is it that you want me to do today because of what I'm learning from this scripture this morning? And I'll tell you, it'll revolutionize your devotional life. It won't be about getting the reading done anymore. It'll be about understanding what is God saying? How does it apply to me? And then, of course, my prayer becomes, becomes informed and anchored around that verse that God is speaking to me that day. So we hear God's voice through his word. Read your Bible every day and ask God, what is it you're saying to me? We pray. But when you pray, don't just talk at God. Did you know that prayer is a conversation? Prayer is actually two-way communication. We, don't, we have an opportunity to come before the throne of grace and, and to share our needs, but it's not just about making your petitions. It's about hearing the voice of God. Wait in quiet. Listen to hear what it is that God is saying to you. When you pray, listen for his voice. I was traveling with our founder, and uh, his name is Reverend Clyde Williamson. Some of you know him. And uh, Clyde is a prophet. There's just no other way to describe Clyde. He's an amazing guy, and he is the real deal. He hears from God. And we were traveling one night on a dark road between, between uh, Tiberias in Galilee down towards Haifa. We were on our way back to Jerusalem for the, for the evening. It was pitch black, and, and he got talking about some dreams and how dreams, how God speaks to him in dreams. And I'm listening, and I'm thinking, man, like, that is just so foreign to me, you know? And I made this statement. I actually said these words. I said, well, Clyde, you know, that's great for you, but God really doesn't talk to me that way. I thought that would be the end of the conversation. He was quiet for about 30 seconds, and he said, have you ever asked him? So what do you mean? He said, have you ever asked him to speak to you in dreams? I thought about that for a second, and I thought, well, no, actually. I don't think I, I honestly can't remember ever specifically asking God to speak to me in dreams. And so Clyde, in his offhanded kind of way, just said, well, well, maybe you should. And that was the end of the conversation. I'm back to my room that night, and I, you know, I spend a lot of time alone in, uh, in Israel when I'm there, when I'm back in my room for the evening, and so I was just praying, I was talking to God, and you ever have those awkward conversations? I just was like, God, um, I guess we've never really talked about this before, and I didn't know, I didn't know. I said, so, you know, if you want to speak to me in dreams, I guess that'd be okay. Then I thought, oh, that's maybe not the best approach. I said, I said, God, will you please speak to me in a dream? I had the weirdest dreams that night. I thought for sure I'm going to go to bed and have, you know, this amazing life-altering dream, but, but I didn't. But I'll tell you something. Within a few days, I had a couple dreams that I could not explain, that I know have some significance, and I'm not going to tell you what they were because uh, I think people often share their dreams way too soon. Uh, but I, I really believe that God spoke to me on two different occasions, gave me some specific things, a name and a place, a name that I had never heard before, and the name of a city. I went home and I researched the name and I found out who the guy was and I was, he actually existed and that really rattled me. Here's the point. The point is this, if you want to hear God's voice, you need to ask him to speak to you. And you need to listen. You need to tune your ears to the voice of the Spirit. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And so that's my, that's my thought that I want to leave you with today. The shepherd, the good shepherd, knows his sheep. His sheep know him and they know his voice. 
And if you're wondering why you're not hearing, it's, maybe it's because you're not listening. Jesus said to the teachers of the law, you're not, I told you, I told you, but you're not listening to me. My sheep listen to my voice and they know me and they follow me. Father, in Jesus' name today, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. But Lord, more than that, I pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst and a desire to hear your voice, to understand what it is that you are saying to us. Because God, this is not just a one-way relationship. It's not just all about bless me, bless me, bless me. We need to be listening to hear what it is that you want us to do and how you want us to walk out our faith. And Lord, we pray today, you'll help us to hear the voice of the shepherd in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for joining me for the podcast today. I hope that you learned something new about the Good Shepherd and the fact that God is speaking to us, that he wants us to listen and to hear his voice. And I pray that uh, as you are listening, you know, the, the Good Shepherd says, my sheep know my voice, that you will know the voice of God as he is speaking to you and uh, that that will move you to action because we listen in order that we can uh, follow. So great to have you listening in. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you today about helping the ministry of First Century Foundations and in so doing also helping many ministries in the land of Israel. If you'd like to connect with our ministry, learn more about us, go to firstcenturyfoundations.com. That's firstcenturyfoundations with an S.com. You can donate on our donate page, whether you are from Canada or the U.S. You can select uh, whichever page is pertinent to you, and we can give you a charitable receipt for your giving in both of those countries. We are a registered charity in Canada, a registered 501c3 in the United States of America. And so thank you for considering donating and helping our ministry as we help those in the land of Israel, the Jewish and the Arab people. God bless you today. Great to have you listening in. And remember, as Christians, we stand with Israel.